I can smell the food means I'm on a timeline, doesn't it? The, um, I had a lot of trouble preparing for this, uh, this message this week. It wasn't that I didn't have enough to say, but every time I went to my notes, I seemed to get another page. I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't, couldn't get my thoughts together and organise things appropriately. And so I ended up at 16 pages today. And this afternoon I worked away and, and then, as, a, as Pastor mentioned before, we had, uh, had uh, Pastor and Matthew's wonderful testimony, the, the glory of the Lord working in his life. It was amazing. And, uh, and then this morning with, uh, with Troy, with the Sunday school lesson as well, I thought, well, they just touched on everything that I'm going to touch on tonight. But it uh, made a little bit more sense as why I was so convicted this week to work on, on this topic. And as I laboured away this afternoon, the kids saw me have a break and, uh, and uh, Max came over and he said, oh, how are you going, Dad? You're working so hard on your sermon. I said, that's right, son, we're getting there. It's good. <laughs> and, uh, and then Elise came over and she said, how is it, Dad? And I said, oh, it's wonderful. I said, I've got 19 pages now. She said, oh, Dad. And she said, can you just organise your thoughts? A wonderful advice from my wonderful daughter. <laughs> she came back a bit later with a note of encouragement. It was really good. And then I had another daughter who will remain nameless. Well, she said 19 pages and she laughed and laughed and she said, we don't need a clock at the back of the church, Dad. We need a calendar. <laughs> so, so I will watch your time tonight and try and get us out. You know, it's, um, I think it's in James, the verse that talks about uh, taking care of our bodily comforts and, and not sending someone away destitute. So it's appropriate that we have time for food and fellowship tonight and I've got a few cut-off points so I'll make sure we don't go too long tonight. I did hear about a primary school uh, show and tell and uh, there was a, a young girl came in and, and she went up the front, she had something small with her, she said oh my name's Sarah and this is a, a star of David and she sat down and then the next one up was Tommy, he came up and he said oh, I'm Catholic and, and this is a, a prayer cushion. And then little Ben came up and he had something bigger and he stood there and he said, oh, uh, I'm a Baptist and this is a casserole. So we'll, we'll make sure that we don't miss out on the good things tonight there. But praise the Lord, we get a chance to look into his word. It really is wonderful to be able to gather together and to look into his word tonight. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that the truth doesn't change. We thank you that you are so long-suffering. Long and so patient with us, and I pray tonight, Lord, that, uh, that all of me would be quickly forgotten, but everything from you would reside in our hearts. Lord, help us to hide your word in our heart and be a changed people, a peculiar people, that we honour you this week, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're, uh, we're reading from Philippians tonight. We're going to start there. Uh, we've got a lot of different verses that we'll, we'll flick through quickly tonight and hopefully give you a bit of a picture on, on some of the fruits of righteousness. First, we're going to look at uh, at love and then uh, some of the fruits of righteousness and also some uh, discernment making appropriate decisions uh, and having good judgment so we'll begin in uh, chapter 1 and verse 9 and this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment that ye may approve things that are excellent that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, 
so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. If you were here this morning, no doubt you're encouraged in the same way to hear Matthew's testimony. It's just wonderful and, and, uh, and I was encouraged to speak out without fear. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear but of power and love and of a sound mind. And we see here in verse 9 uh, that, uh, that we're, we're encouraged by the Apostle Paul. He's speaking to the church at Philippi and says he prays that our love abounds more and more. So as I looked at this, I asked myself the question, what is love and what's it look like in our fallen world, in our fallen state? How do we show love? It's often perceived, I think, as weakness if we're not bold and forthright and putting ourselves forward. And so I want to have a look a little bit later at an example of someone who has shown the love that they have for Christ in the way that they've carried out some actions under pressure. And love is the single trait that we're to be known by. Just as a chef is known for uh, his signature dish, a painter for their most spectacular work, an architect for their most innovative design, love is what we as Christ's children are to be known for. When we deal with each other, love should prevail. Preferring one another should be our priority. In John 13 The Lord says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. (laughs) Galatians 5.13 says, For before uh, four brethren ye have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, that thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself. We know what love looks like in practical terms because the Lord's described it really clearly for us. I'm going to read a few verses out of 1 Corinthians 13. And as I said, a lot of these things have been covered this morning already. And we've seen some wonderful practical examples today already. But bear with me and hopefully we can uh, go over some familiar verses. But as Matthew testified, hopefully they're verses that change our hearts and they permeate every area of our lives. 1 Corinthians 13.4, charity is the Bible word to describe love. Charity suffereth long. It's kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. That vaunting there is to proudly call attention to ourselves, our possessions, our actions, our accomplishments, even our own self-righteousness. Charity doesn't do that. Verse 8, charity never faileth. Aren't you glad that God's love for you never fails? And verse 3, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. It's even greater than faith and hope. We're commanded to pursue charity above all else. So love is to abound more and more in knowledge and judgment. How does love abound more and more in knowledge and judgment? What's Paul suggesting? I think he's describing for us 
the process of, of love coming out of us, that love from God permeates our every thought and grows constantly, being revealed in our actions, in our knowledge and righteous judgment. This love of God comes through his word and the knowledge of his word equips us to judge righteously. 1 Corinthians 6, we're commanded to judge. So it's God's words that make the difference. God wants to give us light so that we can see and perceive. He uses his word to do that. We need to be soaked in the word of God. Isn't that a good description, to soak in the word of God? Manny Malari used that when I was studying last semester and it really stuck with me. I tried not to picture Manny jumping around in the bath and being soaked, but we soak in the word of God. We've got to live. Spurgeon says we should live in such a way that men recognise we've been with Jesus. Let me read you a few verses about that, about the entrance of light and, and, uh, and God's change in our lives. Psalm 119, verse 130, The entrance of thy words giveth light, it giveth understanding to the simple. Psalm 43, 3, O send, send out your light and your truth, let them lead me, let them bring me to your holy hill and to your tabernacles. Again and again, the scriptures tell us of God doing this. The Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. Second Samuel, for thou art my lamp, O Lord, and the Lord will lighten my darkness. There's nowhere else to go in this world, is there, to get light. The only true illumination for our soul comes from the Lord. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. That's what we've experienced already tonight with the singing, haven't we? As we think on God's statutes, rejoices our heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. There are so many different pitfalls around us today. As the world decays, we, we can be assaulted, not just by the, uh, the unsaved, the ungodly, our own flesh, but within the church too. There's so many strange ideas out there, people endorsing weird things. It's like a minefield of apathy within the church. We, we need God's word to make right judgments. With the word hidden in our hearts, we're able to approve the things that are excellent and turn from ungodliness, as we've just read. We're warned, though, that as we take a stand for the Lord... And we turn from ungodliness, the ungodly will turn from us. 2 Timothy 3, 1-5 This know also that in last, the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, Truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such, turn away. Look at 2 Peter verse one, uh, chapter 1 and verse 3 if you would with me. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. 
according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. It's the knowledge of the Lord that's the key to our lives. As we look at these verses here, in verse 11 of, of um, Philippians chapter 1, it's talking about being filled with the fruits of righteousness. How does that happen? The, the key is here in 2 Peter 1.3, the knowledge of him, the knowledge of the one who has called us to glory and virtue. Has anyone been, um, been following the news a little bit? I know Pastor seems to know about this much more of the news than me. He's always up to date. But has anyone been following um, Jack Phillips? The, uh, he's the master, uh, masterpiece cakes. He's the, the master cake maker in the States in Colorado. No. Look at that. I thought I might get 100 hands and everyone would sit there nodding off a bit. He is a man who loves the Lord. I'm not 100% sure on his background, but I'll tell you what, he has an amazing testimony. He's, um, he's, going, he's, he's currently going through court. Uh, he's, he's been taken to court with a case that dates back to 2012. He's got a cake shop. It's called uh, Masterpiece Cakes. He's in reference to serving the master, his creator, and doing the best work that he can. Uh, and he describes it as being masterpiece and cakes because he specialises in cakes. He was approached in 2012 by, by two men to bake a wedding cake for them. He explained to the couple that he could not cater for that kind of wedding. To do so would have been a violation of his Christian beliefs. The couple then filed a complaint with the Colorado Civil Rights Commission for discrimination. The commission ordered Phillips to serve those kinds of wedding cakes and to undergo anti-discrimination training. Jack engaged lawyers and the case went all the way to the Supreme Court. In the meantime, he's had this finding against him. So it's the, the Colorado Civil Rights Commission have found against him and it's taken five years to get to the su Supreme Court. Uh, just getting it there was a battle. Uh, Alliance Defending Freedom took up Phillips' case in court and uh, it was relisted repeatedly throughout the winter and spring of 2017 before the court decided to accept the case. Jack won in court, Supreme Court of the US. The ruling was that during the course of proceedings, the Commission, the Civil Rights Commission, had shown, shown such clear hostility towards Jack Phillips that they had not treated the case with the neutrality required. So it was thrown out based on their ill treatment of the guy and not for another reason. So um, one commissioner said that Phillips could believe what he wanted to believe, but he could not act on those beliefs if he wanted to do business in the state. The court found that such comments and the treatment of Phillips' case compared to other bakers suggested that Phillips did not receive neutral and respectful consideration of the complex issues raised by his claim. The court left open the question of how it would have ruled had the commission not exhibited hostility. Five years... Um, during that time when he was asked not to or told he couldn't bake cakes except for uh, everybody, he didn't bake any wedding cakes, lost 40% of his business, um, went from 10 staff to four, one was himself. And I wonder how we would hold up to have our dreams, our career taken away to that extent, our dreams shattered. Where would we draw the line? Where, where, where would the fruits of righteousness, what have we sown in our lives that would cause us to take that kind of pressure. 
You'd think that would be the end of the battle, but after five years and a Supreme Court ruling less than three months after winning that court case, he had his, um, uh, his freedom of, of expression, religious freedom, attacked again. A new complaint was recently filed against him in the Civil Rights uh, Commission again by an attorney this time, someone who takes pride in harassing people like us. The attorney went to the shop and asked for a... Um, a cake to celebrate a, uh, let's say, a change of life. Kids are here. A change of lifestyle. So he wanted this cake baked to celebrate that change of lifestyle. Phillips declined to make the cake based on his religious beliefs. Three weeks ago, attorneys representing Phillips and his masterpiece cake shop filed a federal lawsuit to fight the new complaint, saying that the state of Colorado is ignoring the message of the US Supreme Court by continuing to single him out um, So he's, he's off to the Supreme Court again and we see that we are commanded in, this, in our text here in Philippians that we're to be filled with the fruits of righteousness in verse 11 which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. And so this is to continue in verse 10 without offence till the day of Christ. So I'm going to read a little bit more of what Jack Phillips said. He made a statement recently, and you examine it and tell me if you think that he's working without offence. We're to love the Lord our God with all our heart. We read about love and, and how it's to be a priority for us, and yet that will cause offence to some. So Jack says, good morning. I'm the owner of Masterpiece Cake Shop in Lakewood, Colorado. Uh, I serve all who walk through my doors, people from all walks of life. I've spent many years honing my craft as a cake artist, combining baking with my love of sculpting, painting and sketching. And I love my craft because a cake is a canvas on which I can express ideas, celebrate events and bring joy to people's lives. One of my favourite parts of my job has always been designing and creating wedding cakes. They allow me to use my artistic vision to create works of art that are beautiful and distinctive and that mark the beginning of something sacred. Though I serve anyone who comes into my shop, like many other creative professionals, I don't create custom designs for events or messages that conflict with my conscience. I don't create cakes that celebrate Halloween, promote sexual or anti-American themes, or disparage people, including individuals from an ungodly background like that. That's not exactly what he said. <laughs> For me, it's never been about the person making the request. It's about the message the person wants the cake to communicate. I'm here at the Supreme Court today because I respectfully declined to create a custom cake that would celebrate a view of marriage in direct conflict with my faith's core teachings on marriage. I offered to sell the two gentlemen suing me anything else in my shop or to design a cake for them in another occasion, for another occasion. For that decision, which was guided by an established set of religious beliefs, I've endured a five-year court battle. It's been very hard on me and my family. There have been tears and many difficult days for us. We've faced death, threat, death threat, threats and harassment. I've had to stop creating the wedding art that I love, which means we've lost much of our business, so much so that we're now struggling to pay our bills. It's hard to believe that the government is forcing me to choose between providing for my family and employees and violating my relationship with God. That's not freedom. That's not tolerance, which are the two words the, the commission was using. I'm profoundly thankful to the Supreme Court of the United States for taking my case. I hope and pray it will affirm the freedom of artists to peacefully express themselves in ways consistent with who they are. So you can see that's before he's gone back to court now. 
and, uh, and that's fairly lengthy and has taken up a bit of time, but I think it's a wonderful example of someone who will put the Lord first. And because he has sown righteousness in his life and he has meditated and engrafted the living word, when the pressure comes, he's able to live by his principles and honour the Lord. If you, uh, if you have the chance to Google a video of it, I, I recommend you do that. When he mentions the death threats, he, he can hardly continue talking. He's a quietly spoken, gentle kind of guy. The Lord's used that shop to uh, reach out to the local community to help those in need. And, uh, and here he is on trial. Our righteousness comes directly from God. Psalm 48.10 says that thy right hand is full of righteousness. We receive righteousness at salvation. It's imputed to us. Isaiah 61.10, he that covered me with the robe of righteousness. Romans 6.18 says the same, the same thing about our salvation. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. Proverbs 8.20 says, I lead in the way of righteousness in the midst of the paths of judgment. Are we following the Lord in those paths, the way of righteousness? In the way of righteousness is life, and in the pathway thereof is no death. Turn with me, if you would, to Isaiah 32, 17. Isaiah 32:17 and the work of the of righteousness shall be peace and the effect of righteousness <coughs> quietness and assurance forever aren't they blessed virtues who wouldn't want peace who wouldn't want that effect in their lives quietness and assurance forever i keep talking about matthew but i'm sure he'd amen the fact that he has assurance now what a blessed thing to be assured of our salvation. I've met people that aren't sure and they seem to go round in circles back to square one. They don't have a foundation to build on. Let's pursue righteousness. The work of righteousness righteousness shall be peace and the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. We see an example of that with Jacob and Laban. You remember uh, that um, he took the ring straight and speckled. Uh, in Genesis 30, he says, So shall my righteousness answer for me in time to come. When it shall come for my hire before thy face, every one that is not speckled and spotted amongst the goats and brown among the sheep that shall be counted stolen with me. James 3.18 says, The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. So it's the peacemakers who are in the right place to be sowing righteousness. I'm trying to skip through really quickly now. We're out of time and uh, we've got an awful lot of notes up here. So I'll, I'll flick through quickly. I hope that's a blessing for you. I've been greatly encouraged as I look at the righteousness that's available for us if we will trust the Lord. So often people don't. And we have such wonderful examples. We look at Noah, one of eight, a preacher of righteousness. Um, along with uh, Paul, who, who we know spoke to Felix and reasoned of righteousness temperance and judgment to come while Felix trembled along with the righteousness that's imputed to us at salvation 
We're commanded to pursue, to actively pursue righteousness. In Romans 6.13, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, Sorry, the old age kicking in. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. That's our mission, isn't it? Let me close with, with this uh, example for you. If, uh, if we're to be filled with righteousness, we need the Bible. Hebrews 5.13 refers to the Bible as the word of righteousness. So let me encourage you tonight to, to get back into the word. Be disciplined. Be focused. Set the distractions of the world aside and meditate in the word of God and reap this harvest of righteousness that we can. So often we're distracted and, and uh, led astray and, and the world creeps in and we just don't end up loving the Lord we don't we keep stopping the difference between a hole and a well is another meter we keep stopping too early we know that Abraham uh, sorry Jacob wrestled with the Lord and and he uh, didn't let God go until he was blessed that's what we need to do we need to be a little bit more persistent so often in churches we we see people I know that you do too and I'm guilty of it as well where we stop too early we give up a little early we miss out on God's blessing and we get what I call spiritual scurvy Scurvy is a, a disease that sneaks up on you. It takes a few months of poor dietary intake to get scurvy. One of the, the biggest recorded cases of scurvy was George Anson as he explored the world in 1740. He's an English naval commander. He set off with 1,950 men. Every single one of them got scurvy. As his uh, commanding officers saw it happening to everybody and they took turns at, at having it, they were able to record exactly the process of what happened due to the poor dietary intake. They all got scurvy and only 700 out of that nearly 2,000 survived. By the end of the journey, he was throwing 15 bodies a day overboard. Anson's officers had plenty of time to observe it. They wrote all, all the things down that were happening, all the symptoms. The commonest symptoms of scurvy were swollen gums, blackened limbs, great loss of bodily strength. Scurvy sufferers tended to become emotionally disturbed. They were easily terrified by the slightest upset. You know that in the late stages of scurvy, a loud bang could kill someone. That's how weak they got. They got so sore that they were immobile. They didn't want to move. The same thing happens to us. If, if we're not careful, if we're not getting the right intake, if we're not drinking in the word of God, we get spiritual scurvy too. And we don't recognise it. We get lethargic, we get slow, we do less prayer time, less Bible study time. It creeps up on us until suddenly, three months after for physical scurvy, I don't know what the ratio is for spiritual, I think the Lord's very patient with us and buoys us up. But eventually, just a loud noise, just the wrong thing, and suddenly we're an awfully long way from the Lord. So, be filled with his word, the word of righteousness, and reap the harvest that only the word can bring. Thanks, Pastor.